0: Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, head of UK Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our global market specialist, John Navruzi and Joanne Spadiga. Okay, bumper week this week for data in both the US and the UK, um, but let's start with the US because I think that was on a global scale, as much as I'd like to talk about the UK, probably a bit more hotly awaited. Um, so like I say, that long-awaited inflation print, what did we learn from that this week, Jan?
1: The inflation print itself didn't really surprise too much in either direction, I should say. We got a, a headline number of 0.5 month a month in line with expectations, similar with the, with the core inflation uh, number, which excludes uh, food and energy. We got 0.4 similarly in line with what the market was looking for uh within the breakdown uh what's been kind of like component by component wise i think three things really stand out the shelter measures which are as as we've discussed before lag the spot market and the new rentals uh they are declining or at least they have declined compared to uh, the previous month that's one so and they uh, and they do make up a large uh, portion of the entire index i about 30 percent is just the uh, the shelter component. So once you once those start going lower, they will also mechanically uh, drag the inflation next lower as well. But the second is that core goods prices, which uh, as listeners will remember, have contributed to the, I should say, like the the drag in inflation and have been in in negative territory for the past three months. Now have firmed up a little bit, even a little bit firmer than what we expected. Things like Car prices didn't fall as much, and uh, they they didn't necessarily rebound in any sharp fashion. But you know, once you go from like negative any number to zero, it still will increase the, the index compared to uh, mm-hmm. compared to the prior month. And then finally, uh, the core services section that uh, the Federal Reserve and a lot of uh, economists and market watchers have been focusing on as the The pain point for inflation that uh came a little bit softer is showing it is certainly trending in the right direction particularly core services x housing uh is now you know drifting towards the towards the target so all in all i wouldn't say it was really a a mind-blowing inflation number in either direction uh but coming after the non-farm payrolls i think people were looking for something to feed that hawkish narrative and Inflation didn't show a you know, substantial deceleration by any means. So uh that kinda added more into that pressure. Uh on net I would say not really bad news, but nothing, you know, nothing really too good to take away from this week's number as well. And we just got the PPIs which confirmed a similar message that just came out before we got in this room. So uh we can kinda and they're not nearly as important as the as a CPI. Uh, oh one final thing about the PC I should for CPI I should say. Is that the Fed tracks the the PC deflator and the weakness in core versus the core services is just not going to spill as much into the the Fed's uh, PC measure because of the different weightings and the different uh, I should say different uh, methods that they use to feed into, for example, medical services. Right, like they'll they'll just use a different measure to calculate their medical services compared to how the CBI does. So in fact, we could see an acceleration uh in core services within the PCE while the while the cpi we saw it in an acceleration
0: and just for listeners to to be clear PCE is personal consumption expenditure and that's essentially another way of of looking at inflation you know we often talk about inflation certainly in the uk in terms of kind of cpi and rpi uh but pce is just a, another way of i guess analyzing price movement in the us so digging into that jan into you know what you said around what the market was kind of looking for particularly post nfps we had quite an outsized market reaction after that inflation print you know the market moved pretty quickly to price in more fed action this year we saw the curve flatten quite significantly and, and yields rise led by the front end was that really justified or do you think that's gone a bit too far now
1: Well, it was justified post payrolls uh as we discussed I I do think it was justifying, but do we think it's gone too far? Yes, we also we're on that page. Uh, we think particularly the, the three-year sector uh, has grabbed our attention. We, we do think it yields there have moved to attractive levels enough to bring in uh, bringing more demand. And I think the the fine balance there is between well, how far is the Fed going to keep pushing the narrative that they have to remain on tight sta- uh, tight monetary policy stance for longer periods of time? Versus how much the market can take out further out from the curve uh, in terms of rate cuts, right? So the very front end is up to two years, let's say. It's very susceptible to the Fed job warning rates higher. And that has been happening too. Uh, Not that the three year did much better, but we, we do think that it will be very, very hard to take out the market pricing of cuts entirely. You could just roll them down but still uh that area seems like the sweet spot for us where well we think you know, January had some strong data true but that can turn around and we don't really think there has been anything to justify a uh you know a reevaluation of fed monetary policy like we had in last June where hike increments were it bumped up again and where the terminal rate was materially reassessed higher uh can this inflation number justify say another 25 basis point hike sure yeah that can and markets already priced in for that but do we think that's gonna lead to the fed going back to 50 75 base point hikes no so because of that we still think the this bull steepener is the trade for this year of course as we pointed out in our year ahead outlook so that it wouldn't have been a theme that was going to materialize in in january or early in the year as well so it's kind of like a delayed fuse bull steepener because at some point and it does feel like that point will come soon the fed is reaching its its peak and we find the five-year sector to be a little bit uh too rich now but the three years kind of like our sweet spot for duration and for curve views generally we think overall the entire curve will steepen and follow up and by the time three years over, so like five 30s 10 30s cycle leading um or spreads i should say uh that would kind of wash the fan turns around so
0: you mentioned there about the possibility of returning back to 50 bit increments and i or the lack of possibility, I should say. Uh, I guess it's interesting that we're recording this on Thursday, um, UK afternoon time. And literally, as we were kind of leaving our desk to, to come and record this, um, I noticed some headlines from MESTA on the wires that, that seemed to be talking about 50 basis points. We've had a lot of Fed speak this week. Well, generally a lot of Fed speak since both the non-farm payrolls, the NFPs and um, the the inflation data this week. Your view then is that they haven't really changed their messaging all that much. I suppose there's still a whole nother round of all of this data before they have to make a decision about about march. is Is that going to be what what we're now watching and and what's going to matter the most?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, let me clarify what Mester just said because we we just dived into it. But before we got to her, the the Fed speak wasn't very like pronounced in either direction. Everyone was repeating the idea that the Fed has more to do. if inflation remains strong. There will be, you know, more rate hikes to be done and more tightening that needs to be delivered. And all of this we already know. Uh, what Master kind of changed up in the in the story here with the with the outlook for the monetary policy is, uh, she said, "Well, uh, I did think there was a compelling case to make to go with a fifty basis point increment at the last meeting." i mean maybe but she didn't she didn't voice it and we'll see in the minutes if if there was anyone actually voicing that in the meeting or if it wasn't one of those thoughts that in hindsight looked right but at the time it didn't feel like it was justified so uh so we will see that with the minutes they're, they're uh due soon and it, whether whether they can shift back to 50 base points i don't know she's not she's not a voter this year however uh there were, the Wall Street Journal yesterday reported that Austin Goolsbee, who is the Chicago Fed's uh, president as of January, uh, could be appointed to replace uh, the departing uh, vice chair of the Fed, Lyle Brainerd. And he is he leans dovish, so if he moves away from the Chicago Fed, then the Cleveland Fed gets the alternate vote, and Mester would be a voting member. So I think that's why markets reacted uh, a little sharply to her comments, despite of course bringing back the idea of of 50 base spots potentially being back in play. We don't think that's the case. Uh, we think now they've lowered the pace. They might just add another one in, in June. Like I said, that's priced in. It's still not our base case yet that will maintain uh, you know, hiking, uh, the hiking cycle past May, but it, it, it doesn't seem outlandish first, but nothing like making a U-turn and accelerating the pace of rate hikes again. We just don't think that that justifies that quite yet. So we haven't really learned all that much from fed speakers except that one comment this week and i think uh there well since we have another set of data employment data inflation data until uh until we get the, to the next fed meeting uh i don't think the fed Fed officials will be rushing to make these big conclusions that the fed has to do is x amount more and uh we also got the date for the, uh Chair Powell's testimony in front of Congress' his semi-annual testimony which will be on March 7th so that comes just before the blackout period uh, a couple of days afterwards so uh, I would imagine he delivers kind of like the final message as we head into the into the March meeting uh, but moving away from the US we also had a lot of that in the UK and uh, not that we don't every week but this week also built the impact for given market reactions so what were the main takeaways from uh, from UK releases?
0: Okay, we do get data every week, but this was, of course, the big, so it did deserve a bit more attention. Um, We are recording this on Thursday, so we haven't yet had retail sales, which we obviously will have had by the time listeners listen to this. So um, I won't comment on that, but I I will just say that I think anyway, in terms of the market reaction, given the data that we have already had this week, both on the inflation and the labor market side, um, I think that they are much more important in terms of trying to um, you know, take a steer for, for what that means for the Bank of England than retail sales tomorrow morning does. So although we don't yet have the full picture, um, I don't think a, a number, any different number tomorrow would particularly sway me, largely because, and I think, you know, we talked about this last week, but largely because retail sales is already flashing, I guess, you know, we can call it sort of disinflationary signals versus where we have been at, at this point in previous cycles. Um, whereas when you look at the Um, inflation data and when you look at the labour market they're still flashing quite inflationary signals and it's that 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 obviously the Bank of England is, is most concerned about. So the data this week I think I'm kind of terming it as something for everyone week in that I think that whatever your kind of prior Narrative was heading into this week whether you thought that the bank weren't going to hike again, whether you thought they were going to do two more 25 bit hikes or just one more 25 bit hike, wherever you sit on that spectrum, I think you can justify that stance with the data that we've had. Um, you know, the labor market data was pretty mixed. For, on the kind of more dovish side, average weekly earnings was um, lower than expected. We had um, inactivity falling um, and we had hours worked falling. Uh, but then on the flip side, the strength in the payrolls number was was huge. You know that came out at over a hundred versus just fifteen k hundred k, I should say. Sorry, versus just fifteen k expected, um, and the average weekly earnings x bonus measure, which although you know in principle it's the total measure that that really matters, actually. Given the time of year and, you know, with bonus pay and bonus season, etc. at the moment, perhaps the average weekly earnings X bonus number is what really gives us a better guide for the underlying wage pressures. Um, And that was higher than expected. So all in, um, I don't think that there's enough in that labour market data that would make the Bank of England comfortable that um, the labour market is turning as quickly as they might hope. To kind of take some of that pressure out of um, wage inflation um, then we also had the inflation data which again was a little bit mixed rpi the retail price index came um, in line with expectations but cpi which is um, the consumer price index a slightly different measure of inflation or a different basket of goods um, came um, a little bit weaker than expected both on the headline and the core measure now of course, that in itself might provide some comfort to the Bank of England, um, particularly, I guess, core, although it was still at very elevated levels and it doesn't really change our view that it's likely to be sticky um, going forwards. But the weakness here was really concentrated in just a few factors. Um, that. Either A, may well be kind of one-off and and might reverse in the coming months, or B, might be due to kind of January sales as well, and therefore, again, may well reverse in in the coming months. So yes, there was a little bit of weakness on um, the kind of CPI print, but I think given that it wasn't really broad-based weakness, plus the fact that you have this kind of stability in RPI, probably brings into question how persistent that the weakness in in that headline CPI number might be.
1: Right, and you mentioned what the Bank of England might feel about each of the releases. But just to summarize, uh, what do you think this data will have a you know how this data will end up influencing the decision? Has that changed your bank rate forecast at all?
0: Well, I think just about everyone else, as I was saying, there's something for everyone. I don't think anyone's changed their mind on what they previously thought the bank would be doing this week. So we were firmly in the camp of seeing one more. 25-bit hike in March with upside risk. So um, definitely think the risk is skewed towards either there being a 50-bit hike in March, more so than there being no hike, or perhaps more likely an additional 25 basis point hike in May, which would take peak rates in our central scenario up to four and a quarter, or in that kind of upside risk case to four and a half. Um, So that's really unchanged since um, all the data this week. And like I said, I think actually... Um, the data probably supports the notion that that, um, the Bank of England won't be comfortable enough yet, that inflation has turned and that those second round effects aren't there, that they would want to take their foot off the gas when it comes to hiking rates. Um, The market, I think, interpreted it in the same way. We've actually done a little bit of a a round trip in in front end rates this week, Um, but I think the market largely interpreted it in the same way. Um, At the time of, Recording right now, we have about 35 bits of tightening being priced into the next two meetings, um, which seems roughly fair to me. Like I say, we think they do 25 with upside risks over the next couple of meetings. So um, I wouldn't push back heavily against that. We did get to quite extreme market pricing at some point this week. I think following the um, labor market data and the beat on US CPI, we saw something like you know, close to 45 basis points being priced into the next two meetings, which felt high to me. But, but where the kind of dust has settled now, um, I think feels quite reasonable.
1: Yeah. Uh, and moving a little bit past the front end, like the, the overnight rate, but there was a lot of volatility across the guild curve as well. Uh, big on the performance, which, followed, which was followed by a big outperformance. Uh, what, what you know? What, what is driving all this? I guess the data is one of the answers, but anything guilt market specific, I should say that uh, we can elicit the listeners about.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess it mostly has been about the data this week. We've seen a big underperformance, which has been led by the front end, essentially, as we have repriced bank great expectations. And if you remember two weeks ago, we had, Um, You know, that trio of central bank meetings in one week, Um, we had the Fed, the Bank of England and the ECB. And although all were very dovish and, and sorry, all were more dovish than expected, I should say. Um, not very dovish it was the bank of england that was very dovish um guilt outperformed off the back of that and at the time we said we thought that was a little bit overdone so i'm not surprised now that we've seen some stronger data kind of supporting the idea that the bank of england will still need to hike at least once more um to see gilts underperform and and it be the front end that that's kind of leading the way there but i do think that probably with sort of two-year yields at where they are now about 370 you know if we're talking about bank rate getting to four and a quarter um and bank rate expectation expectations shifting to perhaps expecting cuts actually in 2024 I think two-year yields at 3.7 3.75 is probably roughly fair enough so although I do think that there's further room for gilts to underperform actually I think the heavy lifting now should be done by the longer end of the curve which has kind of lagged the move a little bit particularly the 10-year sector of the curve that You know, if you look at Gilts today on on Thursday as we're recording this, it's really that part of the curve that's lagging. And I think there's room for that part to underperform more. As we head into next week, we've got a heavier supply next week, which then continues for a couple of weeks. We're back next week to it being two DMO and two BOE auctions, which, remember, weighed pretty heavily last week as well. That was a kind of trigger for a a weaker than expected auction from the Bank of England at the end of the week. Um, And that kind of heavy supply schedule persists. We usually expect supply this time of year to be taken down by um um in pension and insurance. So LDI in particular as we head into um the kind of fiscal year end here in the UK. But actually LDI haven't been buying as as much as we would have expected at, at this time of year. And so, you know, that demand perhaps isn't there as as we would normally see. And we're seeing further evidence of a kind of lack of foreign demand as well. We saw that. Um, already in the ONS data, but we saw that this morning in the US tick data as well. They were sellers of guilt again in December um, and we think that's going to continue. So um, we think that the underperformance of the UK can continue, but but probably expect that to be um, further out the curve than we've seen this week. So um, similar to, to what you were talking about, Jan, I think that we should see curve steepness from here and, and that front end should remain better pinned. Okay, that's enough on UK rate. Joanne, let's move over to Europe. I think Europe has been a little bit overshadowed by um, everything that's going on in the UK and the US this week. But perhaps you can give us a quick takeaway of of what's been important in Europe this week. Yeah, so it's been quite a quiet
2: week overall in terms of um, euro area macro developments. But I do think the Euro area has just been slightly been driven along by what's been happening in both the UK as as well as the US, of course. Um, But I think the US data itself the um, strong labor market data from a few weeks ago, as well as retail sales does really speak to our story in the Euro, uh, Euro area as well, bit, where we do expect that growth in the Euro area will be better than projected last year and better than than forecasters um, across the world really expected. We've already seen some of these growth estimates go up in recent weeks. I do think that the data we get next week, for example, the ZEW survey expectations, reflect this as well that growth in the euro is actually just going to be better this year than initially expected um i think other than that the big theme in europe really is supply we've had two big syndications this week one from belgium and one from italy both to the long end and these have been well received but i do think the question really comes in terms of the auctions which have been a bit more mixed uh supply from spain and france was a bit more mixed today Um, So I do think that that kind of speaks to the supply indigestion we should see coming in over this month as as markets really grapple with this large amount of supply that we should have uh, for February. Uh, To put the numbers into perspective a little bit, the amount of supply we have in February for this year is estimated around 75 billion euros. And that is around two, three times more high than it was in February last year. So there is quite a lot coming in that markets really do have to grapple with. And to after to that, I think an interesting point is just on gross ECB reinvestments, which should slow uh, in, which usually slows a little bit in February compared to January. Uh, and I think as well going into supply, going into March and QT, that supply again, that those reinvestments again, kind of step back, which should
0: provide a bit more uh, of a bearish story for rates from there as well. Speaking of the ECB, then I guess the European specific. Um... News, I suppose that we also got this week was the um, ECB bulletin, um, and we've had a kind of flurry of ECB speakers as well as as there always is. Was there much to learn from from any of those this week?
2: I think the ECB speaker that was really interesting for me this week was Panetta. I think just over the last few months, if you look at ECB headlines, I think it's quite difficult to really understand who's a poke and who's a dub, and I think we're starting to see a bit of that balance return to the council and how they see. Um, the outlook really, and Panetta brought that with with his speech. He, I think, highlighted a few things that we thought were important before, which was um, in terms of inflation, firstly how quickly it's come off, um, versus what the ECB thought previously, and secondly the fact that really we could get these revisions downwards to the inflation forecast in March. Um, also, given fiscal policy may not be as uh, as as large as maybe expected in the in the for the previous inflation forecasts. So I think those messages from Panetta really did provide some balance to the more hawkish messages we've had from not last week and Schnabel as well. So it's really offering a bit more balance in terms of how the ECB could see things in the March meeting and, and, and more in line with our views, I think Panetta is. Um, in terms of the actual bulletin, it did confirm the messages from the ECB meeting. There are a few points I thought were, were worth worth mentioning. The first one was on inflation, where I think they showed quite a lot of information about how inflation has come off. So it's not just in energy. It's also in food prices coming down quite a lot as well. And as well as in supply chain prices, which have been elevated since COVID because of um, China lockdowns and such. So we are seeing inflation coming down, not just in energy, but over a few different factors. The second thing I thought interesting was interesting was on China and energies in particular. We've got lots of back and forth in the team as well about whether China will be inflationary, deflationary. I'm not going to weigh on that today but just to like note that for for the ecb as well at least they're talking a bit more about what china reopening means for lng supply so before um before COVID, i think china was a big lng buyer and because they've slowed down and had lockdowns there was a bit more lng supply for europe to really take on when russia cut off their gas supplies so the question really is for the end of the year is what happens to energy if um China rebounds and needs to get back this LNG demand. They do have pre-existing contracts. So one scenario could be that China does indeed uh, go back to these contracts and, and starts to suck up LNG supply. But obviously, there are other factors to consider. Will the winter for next next year be as warm? Will gas storage be high? Will China just move to a completely different source of energy like coal? Um, so lots of unknowns, but I did think that was a really interesting article for the ECB to, to kind of write about this time
0: around. Yeah, nice. I'll leave it up to the listeners to decide who's on the inflationary China reopening camp and who's on the deflationary. (laughs) I'm sure that is something we will return to on the pod. Yeah. And also, I think, I guess it's interesting um, what you highlight with Panetta, because we have kind of consistently been on the more dovish end of the spectrum when it comes to market pricing for the ECB, um, you know, notwithstanding how front ends have, have moved this week, as we've already discussed in the UK and the US. But even before that, you know, we were expecting a slightly lower peak than than what the market has priced in. And, and that seems to fit that. Okay, great. That's probably enough for this week. Thank you both for joining me uh, and thank you to our listeners for listening in. Just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks, see you next week.